Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Debrief. Super excited to have my new friend, Noah's family, but not him, uh, Dr. Greg Tenisoff, and um, just an incredible uh, professor at Biola University. Somebody I've tracked from a distance, not a stalker, but have, <laughs> have, have tracked your career, uh, just, um, you know, especially from your mom, just so proud and um, super excited when, and I don't know where I came across your writings, but um, it was either a podcast, I think it was actually an article in Biola's uh, alumni magazine. Mm -hmm. And I read about you and I went, oh my gosh, this is what I've been saying for years. Mm. So you're just bright enough to actually put it in a book form. <laughs> I just complain about it. But just this whole idea that shame is not a totally bad thing. And that's the culture in which we live where, where all shame um, is just awful and terrible. And I've been telling our church for years that one of the things one of the disservices we're doing to our younger generation is we haven't given them a category to process shame yeah. because we tell them they shouldn't feel it. Yeah. There's nothing shameful about you. And um, I'm a fan of Jordan Peterson. He just talks about how terrible it is to tell a kid you shouldn't change. Like yeah. you're perfect the way you are. And it's like, you're not even close to what you should be yet. And we should grow and change. And um, for me personally, uh, shame was a huge part of my transformation. Mm. Um, it's what led me to repentance. It's what led me to just really, I need I need something outside of myself to change myself. Yeah. And so today, hopefully we can talk about um, this fine line between guilt and shame. Yeah, and good. I feel like people you know, have these crazy definitions and for me it's blurry. <laughs> I'm not ever sure where one begins and one ends. But uh, so, uh, just kind of introduce yourself to our, our debrief audience. Um, you know, there's about 6,000 people that download this podcast and, um, you know, kind of infinity forever on the internet. This will exist forever. <laughs> oh, scary. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, but why did you, like, why did you even think I need to write about shame? Uh-huh. Well, uh, thank you for having yeah. me on the show. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I, I, uh, got sort of dragged into a trip to China, uh, my first trip to China back in 2005, and uh, didn't know anything about uh, Chinese culture, history, the wisdom traditions of China. Mm. Um, uh, but I got there and I learned something about it, mm. and uh, I, I, I was sort of taken by this vision that uh, the gospel, if it's to be effective, in a place like China has to be articulated in categories mm. uh, familiar to the wisdom traditions of uh, the place. Yeah. And uh, so I took up an interest in uh, the, the wisdom traditions of China, Confucianism in particular, started reading and writing uh, about uh, the relationship between Confucian thought and Christian thought. I found it um, uh, in many ways beautiful and I found mm. it to be a helpful corrective to the to the uh, the Western informed Christianity that I'd mm. uh, come up in, and um, and so as I was being sort of taken by a, a more Confucian informed um, uh, way of following Jesus, all of this anti shame uh, literature started uh, right. breaking out, and and I started to notice all of this 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 pervasive anti shame zeitgeist. This idea that shame is an inherently toxic emotion and that we do well to to liberate ourselves from it entirely mm -hmm. and so forth and from a confucian perspective this is just absurd right uh, the, the shame honor dynamic is right at the center of the moral project right at the center of the formation of healthy uh, communities and and it's not just the confucian tradition it turns out the western wisdom traditions uh have uh, have valued the shame honor dynamic mm. as well. So I thought something's got to be wrong here. Right. Something something weird is happening, and that got me sort of fascinated. What 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 is going wrong? And 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 uh, what was so compelling uh, for me anyway was my initial sympathy with the shame honor dynamic, but then I also knew that there was this impressive and growing body of empirical. Uh, psychological research mm. that correlated felt shame mm. with all kinds of dysfunction, with uh, suicide, mm. with um, eating disorders, rage, aggression, uh, absence of empathy, and so th this for me generated a puzzle. If 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 the sh if shame is important, why is felt shame being correlated so strongly with uh, aggression, anxiety, suicide, mm. eating eating disorders, and right. all like that? So that 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 got me into it. Yeah. Okay. So you came at a different, you, you landed at a different answer though, because I think the, the body of research says shame is bad, mm -hmm. but you, that's not where you landed. Yeah, that's right. So I, I came to think that, and, and continue to think that the, um, the, the social science 
supporting the idea that shame is inherently uh, bad and toxic uh, um, is is conceptually confused. That uh, and and at the heart of the conceptual confusion confusion is the um, the tendency to conflate shame with low self-esteem mm. or self-loathing or other failures of self-respect. Okay. Which are toxic, right? Uh, so ha having a low self-esteem is toxic. Uh, self-loathing is mm. toxic. Um, failures of self-respect are toxic. And if you've been taught that shame just is thinking really badly about yourself, think, you know, uh, yeah. failing to respect yourself, then of course you'll think that shame is toxic, right. and you should, yeah. <laughs> right? But that, but then that just leaves out uh, this very important moral emotion that's informed both both uh, East and West mm -hmm. for for millennia. Yeah. And which has been called shame. Yeah. So, so I've been told, and <clears throat> you know, I'm not a, uh, a psychologist, sociologist, or even a philosopher. So the the working definition that I've been given, the difference between shame and guilt yeah. is guilt is I've done something bad. Shame is I am bad. So mm -hmm. let's start with that. And then let's move into uh, the discussion of, of, of the Christian moral ethic, which is it's not just that I sin. Yeah. But I am a sinner. Yeah. And so I see all these Christian people trying to separate this and I'm confused. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so 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 where do you draw the line between guilt and shame? Good. So the 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 kernel of truth in in what you've heard about guilt and shame is that that guilt takes aim at behavior. Right. So you're guilty for things that you've done. And shame takes aim at the person. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a it's a it's an emotion directed upon yourself, mm -hmm. not necessarily directed upon something that you've done. So that's the kernel of truth. Right. In it. But there are lots of uh, negative emotions directed upon yourself, mm -hmm. which are not shame, right? Uh, like low self-esteem, right. self-loathing, and the like of that. And so we need to be more specific about what shame is and isn't mm -hmm. if we're going to learn how to what its place is okay. in healthy communities. And so I think the best place to start is is here. Um, shame and guilt, like so many. Uh, emotions, you have a word like shame that names both a condition and a feeling. Right. Right. So, so uh, start with the condition. To, to be in shame, to have fallen into shame, is to be socially discredited mm -hmm. in a community of people. So to be shamed is to, so we, we have lots of metaphors for this, to lose face, right. to be a person of lesser consequence, uh, to be less weighty in mm -hmm. your community. That's to undergo shame. And the opposite is honor. If you, right. if, you, if you acquire social credit, you're a person of greater consequence. We call that being honored. Mm. And then felt shame, if you, if you lose <clears throat> credit in a, in a community of people that matters to you, that hurts. Right. right. There's a kind of sting associated with that. And that particular kind of hurt is called felt shame. Right. It's called feeling shame. So guilt then, whereas, whereas shame is a matter of losing social credit and the bad feeling that goes with that, mm. Guilt is a matter of having violated a standard, hmm. right? and so um, you can be uh, you can be legally guilty if you violate the law. Mm -hmm. You can be um, guilty of cheating in a game if you violate the standards of the game that mm. you're playing. You can be morally guilty if you violate the moral uh, standard, and these overlap but come apart in various ways. You can be legally guilty but not morally guilty, right. and so forth. So guilt is when you violate a standard, and you'll feel guilty. If you know that you violated a standard and you care about that standard, right. then there'll be a bad feeling okay. associated with that. So, so felt guilt is that bad feeling that you get when you violate a standard that you care about. Mm -hmm. Felt shame is that bad feeling that you get when you lose standing in a community that you care about, hmm. uh, where you want to have standing. Hmm. So that's interesting. So I think our society, according to your definition, has almost no shared guilt. And yet we rail against, because, because right, the standard is questioned. So you and yeah. I's uh, Judeo-Christian ethic, like throw that out. I mean, um, I feel guilty when I do things based upon how I was raised, yeah. but I live in a society that has not been raised according to that standard. Yeah. But the shame thing is interesting because I think there's so much coming out of our culture where we should not experience shame and yet it throws it, slings it. Like, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the social pressure and social shaming is rampant against celebrities, politicians, religious leaders. Yeah. I mean, uh, teenagers on TikTok. Yeah. Um, it's just so interesting that we, we have this society that's saying two things. You should not feel shame. Shame is bad. And yet slings it like yeah. we're addicts, you know, to it. So how do we explain that? Yeah. I, uh, uh, what I've argued is that we've got 
the, the dynamic that you're describing has got things exactly backwards. Mm. And so we've become increasingly suspicious of shame as an emotion, saying it's bad for yeah. you, it's toxic and whatever. But we've become increasingly accepting of shaming right. as, uh, as a strategy for pushing forward our, our favorite social mm -hmm. agenda mm. or what have you. And my own view is that we should be less suspicious of shame, uh, recognizing that it's just one of the one of the emotions God's given mm, us mm. Uh, to to lead us into health and mm. flourishing, and we should be far more suspicious of shaming mm. uh, as an activity. Mm. And the reason I think we should be more suspicious of shaming is because it's very difficult to shame someone as an act of love for that person. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> you, uh, I think that'll preach. That's good. Yeah. So, um, uh, so how did we? How did this happen? You ask. I think part of the reason it happened is because uh, with the rise of social media, the the power of shaming it, it got kind of a power boost. My kids right. are into gaming. Yeah, yeah. So we talk about yeah. getting power yeah. boosts. It used to be that with the activity of shaming, you could you could you could diminish someone in a community mm. of of thus and such size. Right. You know, depending on how much voice you have. Now, with a few characters, you can diminish someone in the in the community of human beings writ right. large. It's an enormously powerful mm. tool in the way that it wasn't an enormous, enormously powerful tool mm. 20 years ago. Mm. And when a tool gets more powerful, it's it's more likely to be used mm. uh, um, for better or worse. Yeah, it's yeah, it's almost addicting. Yeah, so, that's right. So, um, you know, I don't know if you did any research on just the number of times uh, the English. The words translated in English, shame, is in the Bible. But I, I, when I looked at it, it's over 161 times. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, my expertise is more in Hebrew than in, in Greek. So in, in Hebrew, it's kalam mm -hmm. uh, and bush. Mm -hmm. The word bush, like, you know, uh, like we would say tree. Yeah. Um, uh, and then in, in Greek, it's like m multiple different ways. Um, you know, um, the feeling of shame, but then it's translated differently when someone's putting it on you. Yeah. Um, you know, so when you looked at scripture, you, you see, you see uh, our English word shame uh, in the Bible 161 times. So it's something that's talked about. So um, for us to live in a society where we just diminish it and push it away, yeah. I think is a miss if God thought, hey, 161 times, I'm going <laughs> to talk about yeah. this issue. Yeah. Um, and for me, um, I don't know if you're familiar at all with the Enneagram. Um, um, you know, uh, so, and I know you're a professor at the Bible, so this is hilarious, right? So, so some of your <laughs> colleagues have recently come out against the Enneagram, which uh -oh. is fine, but that I was introduced to it at Biola in uh -huh. my spiritual formation classes. Yeah, so yeah. not to put any pressure, but I just think that's hilarious. Um, you know, I actually had a professor in the doctoral- I better let you do all the talking about yeah. the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. I had a professor at, uh, at, uh, Talbot say, the Lord told me you're supposed to read this. And I, that was interesting. I was like, wow. So, and I, yeah. and I read it um, yeah. and it changed my life. But yeah, cool. the three on the Enneagram, the core underlying issue is shame. Mm -hmm. So I try to achieve to cover this sense of shame. So through success, through notoriety, notoriety fame, money, yeah. clothing. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that. I mean, from the time that I was in fourth grade, I remember telling my parents, I'm not going to wear those clothes that you buy. I will not wear Kmart. <laughs> clothing yeah and young people they don't know Kmart but like Walmart like and, yeah. and if you shop at Walmart that's fine I'm just saying as a young person I was so concerned with how I dressed yeah and it's because of I didn't have the language that I felt like something was wrong with me if I didn't present wealth yeah. success yeah. label yeah. Um, and so for me um, you know shame has been uh, you know, a huge thing, Paul says, all who call upon his name in Romans will not be put to shame. Mm -hmm. Like, and so how do I live that out on a daily basis? And so it's been, it's been for me a, a powerful thing. And I, I shared with you, instrumental in my coming to Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I, and I think this is what we're seeing in our churches when we tell young people, oh, you're perfect the way you are. Why would they ever come to the cross? You know, I mean, yeah. Why do we need Jesus? Why do we need a savior? Why do we need to be born again if we're perfect the way we are? And and then I see these young people who know that they know intrinsically that's not true. Yeah. So they cut themselves, hurt themselves, uh, have suicidal ideation because there's not a platform to tell your parents or your loved ones, I think something's wrong. Yeah. And and that's where I said, and that's where we take our children to the cross. Yeah. And 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 the, and the horrific nature of the cross is. Is where we take that shame yeah. and where we take those things that 
the things that Paul says in Romans 7 that we wish we could change, but we cannot no matter how hard we try. Yeah. Who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thank God, yeah. Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, uh, so much of, of the beauty of Romans 8 is missed at the ending of Romans 7. And so um, when, when you, when you kind of chop up guilt and shame, um, you know, you know, I'm an, I'm an evangelist, that's my heart. We are guilty according to the law. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the challenges as an evangelist. We live in a culture that rejects the law that I believe yeah. proclaims us as guilty. So, yeah. um, and we're seeing that across the board. We're seeing a, re- a rejection of traditional American law. Mm-hmm. Like if the law is seen as uh, unfair to one ethnic group or not, or, um, you know, it's, it's thrown out. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's interesting, even not just biblical law, but even our kind of our um, cultural laws, some things are, are, are deemed okay because the law is unfair. And so how do you, how do you see, um, you know, shame as an integral part of, of the Christian's life really to draw them to God? I mean, mm-hmm. did you see any connection in that? Because that's really my heart is, um, how do I feel these bad emotions and then run to Jesus? Yeah. So... Yeah, good. I know. Sorry, I didn't. There's a lot and just so you guys know, I didn't prep him for any of this. This is just a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, to the point about the a quick point about the scriptures and the the uh, what did you say? 160 instances. 161. I didn't count yeah. them up in the way that you yeah. did. That's nice. Um, I would be it'd be a shock if that weren't the case. Right. Because uh, the the cultures in which the scriptures were written were heavily informed by the shame honor dynamic. So of yeah. course, uh, shame is gonna is gonna loom large in the minds and in the writings of the authors of scripture. Um, right from the beginning with the shame of Adam and Eve mm-hmm. and, the, and the hiding nakedness and so forth, shame looms large. Jeremiah talks about uh, the people having lost their ability to blush, right? And I think that's yeah, a yeah. really nice image of, <clears throat> yeah. of shamelessness, yeah. right? The, the, to be shameless is to have lost your ability to blush where blushing would be Which is a bad thing, according bad to the thing. scriptures. That's right. But that's our right. culture says, it's a good thing that's th- right. to not be ashamed. That's right. There's a there's another uh, uh, book out by an author named uh, Nadia Boltz Weber recently mm. called Shameless, mm. uh, where shamelessness, as she understands it, names a kind of uh, a laudable condition, mm. something that we ought to aspire to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a, just a polar opposite uh, sort of mm. uh, perspective. But now that so, uh, shame and the cross, I think. Uh, I mean, it's it's worth saying maybe in response to some of the things you said that that not all shame is healthy. Sure. Right. So, um, I thought that was clear in your book. Like, okay, so when it's good. self-loathing, self-hatred, yeah. um, you know, uh, I mean, you said low self-esteem, but it's really it's the rejection of the fact that you were created in the image of God, and so therefore, yeah. there's something about you, even in a fallen state. I, I say it this way at Sandals Church. Shame says that you're worthless. The gospel says you were worth Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's there's an intrinsic value in you, in yeah. me. Even as the sinner, um, God saw something worthy of redemption. So I think part of the story uh, in my tradition, and, and my tradition was more of a um, a Calvinistic, depraved. There's nothing good in you, which yeah. I reject now. Yeah. I think there's nothing in me worthy of salvation. I cannot I cannot earn my salvation, and I think that's what my understanding of the gospel of, of uh, not the gospel, but just this, this idea that, you know, I am depraved. That, that's my understanding of depravity. Now, I cannot earn my salvation. And so self-righteousness is not uh, a good thing. Yeah. But going the other way, you know, uh, like we talked about in Genesis 3, you know, it says Adam and Eve experienced shame. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Yeah. So, so that, that condemnation is not coming from God at that moment. That's right. um, it's coming from something in themselves that says, I am so hideous that I've been naked up to this point, but now I must cover myself because there's something wrong with me. And, oh, by the way, this person that I've been with, I must cover myself as well. Yeah. Um, and that didn't come from the Lord. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, and that's right. One of the, one of the things I appreciate about uh, what uh, Brene Brown and others mm. are doing is that they're alerting people to the to the fact that the hiding mm. that we see first in um, in the garden mm-hmm. uh, is, is not the way out of shame. That's right. that's the way into further mm-hmm. uh, uh, dysfunction. And so um, the way out of shame, I think, is 
is to be honored. Mm -hmm. right? So one of the, I, I think one of the powerful things about the cross and the reason the cross is so fundamental to shame is because if you if you have uh, suffered shame, if you've become, think about um, somebody who is a very little standing mm -hmm. in society, and we can think of categories of, yeah. of people who just have no standing. They're not the people that you go to mm -hmm. when you want insight or power or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Insofar as they've fallen into shame, the way out for them is for someone of high standing to condescend, mm -hmm. to, to identify with them, mm. right? And, and when, when someone of high standing condescends to identify with someone of low standing, mm. two things happen. The person of high standing uh, risks shame mm. because by association with the person of low standing, mm. they, they themselves might lose standing. Right. But if they have enough standing, That'll be insignificant, mm. and what'll happen instead is that the person of low standing will be lifted out of their shame. Right. So take, uh, you know, if you take somebody of of no standing, and then let it go viral that they were yucking it up over lunch with the Pope, right, or something, yeah, right. All of a sudden, that mm. person will be a person of high standing right. in society because of their association mm. uh, with the Pope. So what Jesus does with the incarnation and the cross is he condescends mm. uh, all the way down to the level of of fallen. Uh, human, mm. the fallen human mm. condition, all the way to the point of uh, naked and humiliation, mm. humiliating uh, crucifixion mm. on a cross, mm. in order to uh, put his arm around mm. us and say, mm. I, I, "I'm with, I'm with them, mm. I'm with them." Mm. And so the the God of the universe uh, came all the way down mm. uh, to the level of naked crucifixion on a cross mm. in order to say, "I'm with them," and that's the way out. Mm. That's the that's the rescue mm. from shame that I think is so powerful yeah. on the cross. And it's so interesting. I mean, we've never seen uh, anywhere, you know, the penis of Jesus. It cracks mm -hmm. me up on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. We always, so in that moment of, of sheer humiliation and shame, we, we have to cover his genitalia because, because yeah. of course the Romans didn't do that. The, yeah. the entire point was humiliation. Humiliation and shame. And so, yeah. but even, even in that most sacred moment as, as the church, we've been yeah. unable to look upon Jesus yeah. for what he was. Yeah, that's you know? why I've tried to stop calling it the crucifixion mm. and calling it the naked crucifixion right because that that's so central to yeah. what happened yeah you know he, he came all the way down to unutterable uh, uh, levels of shame mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of rescuing yes yeah. huge yeah huge um, so when is guilt good for the Christian yeah good uh, um, guilt is so let me, uh, can, can I answer yeah. a more general question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there are all these negative emotions that we'd rather be without. Yeah, uh, feeling guilty, feeling uh, shame, feeling lonely, feeling betrayed, um, mm. uh, all of these things, you know, we'd rather not. And so, but then you might just, with a moment's reflection, you recognize, okay, but God fitted us mm -hmm. with uh, the tendency to feel lonely, to feel betrayed, mm -hmm. to feel guilty, to feel shame. Uh, Why do you do that? Right? And when is it okay to feel those things? When is it healthy to feel mm. those things? And the way I've come to think of it, and I borrowed this from Alan Downs, uh, a psychologist who's written about these things, uh, written about these things, that these negative emotions are like warning lights. Yeah. Right. And so they they alert us to to the to the fact that something's amiss. Right. In our lives. And so if you are abandoned, if everyone abandons you, right, you've been fitted with a negative emotion that that kind of ding 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 yeah, something's yeah. wrong right? right you're without companionship mm -hmm. and that emotion we call loneliness mm -hmm. or if your partner uh, is unfaithful to you mm. that hurts there's a negative emotion this felt betrayal right. ding 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 something's yeah. wrong you're 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 missing fidelity and that that motivates you to seek fidelity mm -hmm. if you violate um, uh, the moral law or a standard that you care about uh, a, a, an emotional warning light goes out. Ding, right. ding, 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 something's wrong. Yeah. And that motivates you to get back in step with the mm -hmm. moral law. Well, shame is just like that. If if you lose standing mm. in community, there's a warning light that goes off and says, you are, you are losing mm. standing. Mm. And that hurts. And the reason that hurts is because we're built for community. We're not built to be alone. Yeah. And so when we when we lose standing in communities, we're we're designed with a with a negative emotion that tells us that's what's going on, mm. right? So, so shame is healthy, and guilt guilt is healthy when you have, in fact, when it when it is in fact alerting you to the fact that you've um, uh, violated the moral standard. Shame is healthy when it's alerting you to the fact that you're losing standing in mm. communities that matter to you, mm. and that's because, uh, on the one side, uh, uh, obedience to the moral law 
matters. Mm. And on the shame side, standing in community matters. Mm. Contrary to the sort of ideal of rugged individualism that so characterizes the American West, mm. we're not designed mm. to, to just uh, be our own man and be what we are regardless of what anybody thinks of us and so right, forth. Right. We're designed to, be, to belong to and, be, and to be dependent on our standing in communities, mm. especially communities of other Jesus mm. followers. Why do you think uh, the gospel has done so well in China? Like the underground church is just, we don't even know how large it is mm -hmm. because it's, it's underreported. But, um, you know, have you watched uh, Martin Scorsese's film Silence? No, I've, I've, well, I've read yeah. the book. I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, well yeah. I, I tell people, make sure it's the happiest day of your life, you <laughs> yeah. know, and have Zoloft ready because, <laughs> That's right. because it is just like I, I needed counseling after that but it's one of the greatest films ever but it's interesting it's really the story of the gospel taking off in japan yeah and it's with the lowly yeah. the low caste people who rejected unloved unseen and this gospel message hits the shores of japan's uh, japan and it's rejected by the elite those in power yeah. um and and i mean they kill everyone and anything um you know um to stamp this out because these young people are these poor people are so devoted to this savior that would come low and lift them up. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting, but um, look at Korea. I mean, Korea has been transformed with the gospel. Uh, China, uh, even in Vietnam now as we speak. So in these high shame, high honor cultures, the gospel, when it's understood, speaks. And then we look in the West where we've, we've kind of divorced ourselves from shame and honor culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think not completely, but the gospel goes nowhere because nobody feels ashamed and nobody feels guilty and nobody is aspiring to what I would call classical honor. Mm -hmm. You know, I think yeah, we, we, ha we still have it, right? If you're, so if you're liberal, you wear your mask, you're triple vaxxed, right? You've taken the oath. Um, and if you're conservative, right? No masking, you know, I have an immune system, right? So, I mean, so there, it's still in some sense in these communities, yeah. but, but it's not, I still think in, in, in the East, there's a universal sense of shame. Yeah. You know, like in China, like if, you're, if your uh, uh, child is put to death, they send you a bill for the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, think about that. You as a parent have done something wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about the lack of homelessness in, in, in Japan. Your family is coming for you with their shoes. Yeah. Like this is not happening, you know. Yeah because your life is a, is a statement it's of a our, reflection of it's us. It's a reflection of us. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're in the West, right? We just, we don't know what to do with this drug addict, person with mental illness, and so we just kind of let them go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and I'm not saying Japan or Korea, I mean, Korea more so than China, but, but the gospel is growing there at a faster rate than it is here because there's a culture that understands shame and honor. And whereas here is, I think we've lost that a little bit. Don't, don't yeah. you should never feel bad. Yeah. And it's right. like, well, you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I, here I'm out of my depth. So I'm, okay. uh, this, this, this is a good question for social scientists and the like, but, uh, but that's not a reason not to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we just, yeah. We just say what I doing. never let a lack of expertise <laughs> prevent me from having an opinion. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, I think part of what's going on is just that uh, it's this old phenomenon that the, the church thrives where it's persecuted. Right. And that has very little to do with uh, shame and honor, shame yeah. and, honor yeah. and the like. So I think part, partly that's what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that the, uh, the, the church in the, in the contemporary Anglo West um, were so dominated by this ideal of rugged individualism. Right. Um, and I think to, certainly shame and honor uh, have a really hard time finding a place. If, if you don't care what other people think about you, mm -hmm. then there's no reason to be worried about shame. I mean, right. sh shame is just your, you know, shame and honor are, are your standing in society. Well, and Who cares about it? Yeah, and let me say yeah. this. If we don't care what other people think about us, does society even have a shot? Yeah. That, be and does, and I think to, to your earlier point, does Jesus following have right. a shot? Because no. my own uh, read of the scriptures suggests that there is no such thing as just or that's putting it a little too strongly, but the way of Jesus is the way of communal, familial uh, uh, pockets of loyalty to Jesus. Right. Uh, no, the, and the I idea agree. of me and Jesus and Him saving me from my sins, mm -hmm. and, and that has very little to do with anyone else 
is I think just foreign. No, uh, I agree. I mean, every single week, Greg, I have to beg people to attend Mm -hmm. community, serve community, and give. Yeah. And all three of those things are foreign to most of the people who consider themselves devoted Christ followers. I mean, I have no expectations for the non-Christian who's come to church because their marriage is falling apart, they're depressed, they got dragged to church because their niece is getting uh, uh, dedicated, right? Like, I I don't have any expectations for them, but I'm arm wrestling every week with Christians who are saying, I'm gonna pray about whether or not God is calling me to enter into community, (laughs) serve, give, and attend. And it's like, we don't need to pray about this. Like, you know, you know, it, it blows me away. You know, I'll give a call for service. And, and every every church in America is struggling with service right now. Mm-hmm. Getting people to come. They're afraid of COVID. Getting people to serve because we've been accustomed to it comes to me. Yeah. And, and the church cannot function and should not function outside of serving one another. Yeah. Um, and then here it's even huger is I'm going to serve, but it has to be where I'm called and gifted. Yeah. Like, imagine a family that works that way. I only serve my wife where I feel called and gifted. Yeah. Like, we're divorced yeah. week three. Like, yeah. it doesn't work that way. And yet, you know, that's where it doesn't matter what the needs of the church are. I'm going to pray about my calling. Yeah. And it's like... Yeah, and I think, uh, now this, is, this isn't a statement about uh, you uh, or your church or anything like that, but uh, those of us who teach, yeah. I think, uh, who have that vocation have to own the fact that what you're describing is a consequence of a failure of teaching. Right. Uh, and and the, the failure of teaching, I think, <clears throat> has looked something like this. We've presented a gospel right. uh, which is primarily about a, a personal sin problem right. that gets dealt with by a cur- certain kind of confidence that the work of Jesus on the cross would mm-hmm. manage that sin problem. Mm-hmm. That's the gospel. Mm-hmm. And now everything else is further news yeah, yeah. or something right. like that. And so long as we keep preaching that gospel, it seems to me, the kinds of things that you're wanting to come automatically just won't. Right. And so unless we preach a gospel which says the rescue from the fallen human condition mm-hmm. is a matter of finding your way into familial, uh, communal pockets of loyalty to Jesus, mm-hmm. um, that that's the rescue. Right, right. Uh, if we don't preach that as the yeah. gospel, then I think what you're describing is the predictable outcome yeah so um sandals vision is to be real with self Mm -hmm. god and others and i can't tell you how many christians have a problem with two points in my vision it's not real with god Mm -hmm. they 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 have a problem with real with self yeah which you know we talk about where that came from and then real with others what why would why would why would you ever preach a gospel that demands authentic community and i'm like have you not read all the one another's and so here's how selfish we've become people in my church read that and they say love one another as i've loved you and they say well i do love my husband mm-hmm. i do love my wife the one another's are are not the assumed relationships that even the sinners love i mean jesus says even sinners are good to those who love them. Yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm calling you to. Yeah. The one another is the outside of my nuclear family and the people that I'm dependent upon. That's right. Um, you know, it's 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 not just a concern for my child. Like all of the homeschoolers, wait. Like we're gonna we're gonna change our entire life to make sure that my child gets a homeschool education to prevent them from being tarnished from the world, but not lift a finger to help and educate. All the other families that either a can't afford that yeah. don't have the intellectual capacity to do that and and it's i have no calling to those children at sandals to over two thousand of them yeah two thousand children coming from broken homes i mean varying degrees of socioeconomics right yeah. um uh you know like i have no i have no stake in that and it's like wait yeah. a minute yeah yeah and that's where i think the um I mean, partly I think yes, of, of course we want to we want to enjoin on people a kind of uh, authenticity in yeah. their relationships with others. But at the same time, I think before we can realistically do that, we have to we have to have in place. This is where the shame honor dynamic right. uh, comes in. If there are a lot of Christian communities where I'm sorry, if I'm same sex attracted, mm-hmm. I've got no interest in being authentic about that here right. because I know that's yeah. I know what that will do to my standing yeah. in this community and I'll suffer shame. They'll mm. they'll love me 
Yeah. Right? But but I'll be a lesser person, a person yeah. of lesser consequence here. Or if I'm a person with um, with significant mental health uh, yeah. issues, or I've got a per- or I'm a person with a significant um, even physical impairment, mm-hmm. and it's possible for me to cover that up mm-hmm. uh, here. You bet I'm going to cover it up. Right. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. Because if I don't, I'm going to be a person of lesser consequence. Yeah. So we have to go out of our way, I think, mm. to create communities that don't um, shame right. people for things like mm. uh, um, uh, the, the direction of their sexual attraction right, right, yeah. or the, uh, the, the, the shape of their body mm-hmm. or, or yeah. uh, these other things. And that's hard work. Mm-hmm. The, 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 um, all, of the, all of the inertia is in the other direction. Christian and not. I mean, uh, we we exist in a culture that downgrades people mm. for things like the shape of their body. Sure, uh, you, you will be a person of lesser consequence. And when a person feels that, when right. they feel shame because they're because they're of lesser consequence given the shape of their body, mm-hmm. we we do them such a disservice when we say to them, "The problem is your that feeling you're having that felt shame that's toxic, mm. right? That that feeling is unhealthy." <clears throat> No, the feeling is just the warning signal uh, yeah. of the reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reality is there are people of lesser consequence, and they're feeling the sting of that. Right? Mm. Uh, the, the, the shame is on us. How dare we move comfortably in a society where people are thought less of mm. because of the shape of their body or because they were victims of uh, sexual abuse? That's mm-hmm. another big reason that people yeah. get shamed. So we need to identify those those places in our communities where people... Are downgraded, mm-hmm. right? And and we need to proactively. This is this is where the cross is such a powerful image. We need people who are of high standing to cut, to to identify strongly with those mm-hmm. people. Put their arm around them. And say, yeah, you know, she and I, uh, yeah, we're we're together, right. right? And and until we do that, I think again, what you're describing is what we should expect. Mm-hmm. Why would people be authentic when being authentic means they're going to be downgraded and right. shamed? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I mean, so, you know, I, I'm not an expert on Brene Brown by any means, but what yeah, I understand yeah. before, for her is vulnerability is the way out. Yeah. And so that's, I, I think she says three things. She yeah. says silence, secrecy, and she has one other um, letter that, that kind of magnifies shame. Yeah. So, um, you know, and so, so, but so here's the other tension. But so if I, I could just say yeah. something about that really yeah. quickly. Vulnerability is not the way out. Okay. If you're in a community that will shame you all the more, right? When you're when you're vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Vulnerability in a community of of um, mutual acceptance and and grace, mm-hmm. uh, that's the way out. Right. Right. But but you can't do that alone. Yeah. Right. You're dependent on your community. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. I mean, that's why you're the guest. Um, <laughs> you know, and so there's this tension right in the church between between grace and a moral standard. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that we, we, we suck on both ends. We suck at giving grace, but, but <laughs> at our church, you know, I, I have probably half my church that, that has kind of discarded the moral standard. Yeah. You know, oh, well, to each his own. It's like, whoa. You know, so there's two things there. It's, it's we need to give grace, but also truth. And, and I, I think we're just terrible at both of those. Yeah, I, so. think, I think that's right. And I, and I don't have any uh, snappy... Right. answers to that except that you just I mean insofar as I've experienced something like uh, the other direction of things it happens when you're when you're shoulder to shoulder with people if, if if you and I are living in proximity um, uh, serving the marginalized uh, right. together um, helping each other out when we can't pay our mortgage mm-hmm. um, uh, bumping into each other taking the trash cans out and so right. forth um, that's the setting where it's possible for me to say, you know what, Matt? This thing you did over here—you don't seem to feel badly about it at all. Right. <laughs> but you, but you should. Right. That was that was a bad business. Right. Um, it's when we try to say those things to each other, and our only sort of context for one another is sitting next to each other in a pew on Sunday right. or something that I think things just go off the rails. Yeah, yeah I think that's huge. Um, and especially as a pastor, what I have is um, when somebody is morally gone off the rails, they want to run them to me. Mm-hmm. And 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 they want me to make them do what they believe is right. Yeah. And um, you know, I only have authority in so much as the person perceives we have relationship. Yeah. You know, uh, this idea that the pastor is the superhero—it it, those are done. Those days are gone. And so, um, you know, 
And so I have to, I just have to invite people, you know, into wanting wisdom from me, wanting direction from me, but just carte blanche saying, you know, this is right or this is wrong is not helpful to them. Yeah. yeah. So all of the one another's that you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, uh, written into, you know, um, that context mm-hmm. assumed a kind of communal lifestyle that right. very few in the American context right. are experiencing. So before we can exhort one another right. well, mm-hmm. uh, before we can um, love one another, forgive one another, mm-hmm. bear one another's mm-hmm. burdens, mm-hmm. I think w- we have to be more deeply immersed in one another's lives. We just can't do the one another's yeah. if our acts, if our if the context is we see each other a couple of times a week at yeah. church and then a Bible study. Yeah. Or something. No, I agree. You know, so there was this, this really powerful moment. Um, were you guys in the sermon recording last week? So do you remember the guy that was invited up to pray for me? Um, he comes up to pray for me, and uh, he's a pastor at our church. What people don't know is he's we've been in community group together for years. Um, we have confessed together, prayed together, like challenged one another. Um, and he comes up to pray for me, and he can't get the words out. Mm. Yeah. As a grown man, it's powerful. Starts sobbing. Yeah, and and what it is, it's it's a genuine love for who he knows I am. Yeah, and and the struggles that he knows I have. Yeah, and yet I'm going to stand in the place of God to deliver a message, and how awfully terrifying that is. And um, I think he ended with, "Dear God, just help him." <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it just came. It, yeah. it, it, he just he, yeah. he he tried to pray this glorious prayer, and it just it just really fell on. Matt just needs grace right now, like, and 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 I as he walked off stage, I made a joke about it because that's what I do sometimes when you know I've got to preach. I can't start sobbing with the in the beginning of my message. I told everybody, "This is why you want to be in community." Yeah, that's right. Because um, he knows my sin, yeah. like. You know, uh, and yet loves me, and follows me as pastor. Like it's this, it's this weird thing. And you know, my dad uh, was a pastor for his entire life, and he tells me all the time. He says, "Matt, if I was half as real as you, I would have been fired at every deacon meeting Uh, on a Sunday night." And he just says, "Sadly, we couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't." Yeah. Um, And and you and and I think our younger people would say, "Well, why not?" Well, he had bills to pay, he had a wife support, he had two boys to feed. Like, like. as pastors, we can only push our congregations. You know, like so many of my young people are just aghast at the amount of churches in the South that condoned slavery. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing there were there were many ministers who felt it was wrong, but they could only push their congregation so far before they ended up having their house blown up or yeah. or whatever else. Because culturally, we can we can only and that is the danger. You know, and that's what. Paul says, Timothy, there's coming a time when, when pastors will only preach what their congregation's itching ears want to hear. Yeah. And, and we always think that's someone else, but the truth is it, it's ourselves. And, um, you, know, um, you know, I have struggled with guilt and shame just as I've looked at how I've managed our church the last two years. Uh, the polarization of Black Lives Matter versus Make America Great Again. Um, you know, the, the the vaccine, do we shut down, do we close? And I think that the guilt and shame in that was, I think I, I my tendency was to lead out of fear. Mm-hmm. And and some of that's just because I'm an emotional being and and I was genuinely afraid. You know, it's it's real easy to say you shouldn't lead out of fear when you're not afraid. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, 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 I was telling people, um, I have a very, very powerful uh, Christian friend who is um, like, I mean, he's close to the office of the president. He's, you know, he's connected in ways that I, I am not connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember he called me on the phone. He said, he said, Matt, this is like Mar, or this is like March first of 2020. He said, Matt, this is it. This is the pandemic. He said, 30% of your congregation is going to die. Mm. Got to go. Bye. Oh, Hung up. Wow. He just came out of he just came out of a meeting with the president. I come home. I'm trying to process this. The NBA announces it can, it's canceling the season. Yeah. I'm trying to process this, and then the president comes on TV and says we're going to shut down the entire country. This is unprecedented. Yeah. I did not navigate that well. It was it was scary. Yeah. And then 
our governor, regardless of what you think about him in California, you know, I think Trump is overly confident and that's kind of how he handled things. When I saw Governor Newsom, he was visibly shaken and concerned. Like it's, it, it, you know, it's like when your kid has cancer and you're gonna, you're telling your kid, you're gonna be fine. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you're lying. Um, you're hoping, but you're lying. And I saw that and I, I think that I, 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 I made some bad decisions there, you know, um, watching the riots because of George Floyd, watching the events of January 6th, you know, um, and just learn that I too am a human being and I have to, I have to, divorce myself from that intentionally and say, okay, Lord, I need to hear from your spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've had to process that. Okay, I led, I led poorly. And we've lost thousands of people because of mistakes on both sides. Yeah, It's just interesting. And I think to not own that would not be healthy. Yeah, But to say, um, you know, like you said, you said these, these things are warning lights. My anxiety has been off the charts and it's because of shame and guilt, I believe, over decisions that I've made. Yeah. And um, and knowing that no matter what you make in this political climate, the, you're going to offend someone. Yeah. You know. Um, you know. You know. We're yeah. We're in this series right now uh, called um, uh, the Healer, and we've used a picture of a painting of Jesus. It's one of the oldest known paintings of him. It's from the sixth mm -hmm. century, um, and I've ha I've had people of color offended mm -hmm. and angry at me because he's white. And the irony of that is it's painted in Africa and currently in a museum in Africa. So this, you know, we don't know who painted it, but that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it, you can't even like, this is, this, is a, this is the oldest known painting. And it's that one where he has two faces. I don't know. It's bizarre. It's, yeah. it's funny, our, our creative team altered it because he looked so creepy <laughs> when you blow him out of the screen. But what it is, is it's, it's, it's the first painting identifying the two natures of Christ. Oh, so he has yeah. two faces. Yeah. So that's why one eye, it almost looks like he's a gecko, like his eye is like looking sideways and it's because he, he's not who you think he is. Um, and, and, and I would say he's not white, he's, he's Middle Eastern, mm -hmm. you know, but the, you know, as, as the painting has faded over the years, you know, he's, he's gotten more white. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's a sixth century painting on wood. It's just incredible. And, um, but even that, you know, and I told this guy, I said, I don't think that's Jesus, just so you know, <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. so um, it's, it's been, it's been a crazy time. How would you um, help somebody who's listening to this, who feels guilty? How should they navigate that? Yeah. And then we'll go shame. Aha. Uh -huh, so treat them separately. Yes. Good. Uh, good. You don't have to, but. No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to. The, the, the. the well, it's hard. It's hard not to go back and forth. So yeah, I'm, I'm, feel I'm, free. I'm, You're the expert. I might violate the yeah, the yeah. rule. Yeah, yeah, violate it. <laughs> I mean, the 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 big temptation in guilt is in the direction of self deception, and the big temptation in shame is in the direction of hiding. Mm. Uh, we, th those are the two sort of, if if you like, unhealthy ways out or something okay. like that. So if I'm if I'm uh, guilty of violating a, uh, violating a standard then one way out of that is to convince myself that the standard doesn't exist, mm. right? And if I can convince myself that the standard doesn't exist, then, I'll, then I won't feel guilty anymore mm. for having, um, or that it doesn't matter or whatever. Well, or what about I convince myself that I had a reason to violate? Yeah, or that I didn't violate it at all. <laughs> yeah, right? okay. So, yeah. so one way out of guilt is, and a very tempting and pervasive way out of guilt is in the direction of self-deception. Yeah. And so uh, the person who's feeling guilty I think the thing to say to the person who's and who isn't. I mean, we've yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, uh, those of us who aren't self-deceived. Right. Uh, it's not hard to point to things that mm -hmm. that we're guilty about. Um, is just to be to be mindful of the pull in the direction of self-deception. Mm -hmm. Know that um, there there are forces in your psychology that are that are going to pull you in the direction of self-deception, mm -hmm. and that's why it's so important to surround yourself with mm -hmm. a community of people with whom you can be authentic mm -hmm. without suffering shame. Because uh, our our um, our body, our our, our community uh, can very often see things about us mm. that we can't. So it's a little bit like if you're feeling guilty, there's a sense in which good, you know, good for you. That that means right. things are going 
the way they ought to. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. if the person has their hand on the hot stove and they're not feeling pain. Right. The first thing we need to <clears throat> to fix is the fact that they're not feeling pain. Right. right? So if, if you're not feeling guilty for anything, the first thing we need to fix is the fact that you're not feeling guilty mm-hmm. because almost certainly you're, you're in violation of some standard right, 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 that yeah. you ought to care about. So if you're feeling guilty, the first thing to say is, uh, beautiful, good, things are going uh, the way they're supposed to. But if you're, if you're chronically guilty or if your guilt isn't matched with um, a, a, an equally or, or, or more strongly felt sense of forgiveness and acceptance mm. and embrace, mm-hmm. then your guilt will undo you. Mm. And you'll be you'll be ruined uh, by it. Mm. So so there's this weird tightrope right. walk where, where we where we embrace the fact that we're having this painful experience because that that tells us that the warning lights are working. Right. right? But at the same time, if those if that's not met with uh, forgiveness, grace, acceptance, and so forth, mm. um, you're, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's going to undo you. So so celebrate the fact that your your guilt. Um, um, detector is working right right and seek a community mm-hmm. with jesus loyalists who mm-hmm. will embrace you no matter what and mm-hmm. remind you of the forgiveness that we have in christ and so forth mm. all right now shame yeah so shame the tendency isn't so much towards self-deception as it is to hiding so mm. if i'm if i'm feeling the sting of of um being socially diminished mm-hmm. then that the the temptation is to hide and, mm. and to not show up and I think the thing to say to the person in shame is um, find communities. And it sounds to me like you're um, intentional about developing this kind of a community. Mm-hmm. Find a community of, of people where you can show up without, don't just show up anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just show up anywhere with all of your junk, right. you're likely just to be shamed further. And, right. uh, and that'll that'll hurt all the more. So find a community of people where you can show up mm-hmm. and be confident that you won't be shamed mm. uh, and then uh, find a community of people who will uh, remind you in in powerful ways of, of God's mm. uh, uh, unending embrace of you his condescension to you his naked crucifixion on your behalf mm. uh, uh, those kinds of things and if you're and then I, I think we have to say lest we be sort of overly simplistic or something if you're suffering from chronic shame where chronic chronic anything chronos is this word having to do with time Hmm. so to suffer chronic shame or chronic guilt or chronic loneliness or whatever is to have that feeling all the time regardless of what's happening around you Hmm. right so if you are just chronically feeling shame Hmm. um probably you need more that probably probably you're in a condition that you can't do much about yourself Uh, Hmm. And so I do think one of the one of the um, valuable things about the work of people like Brene Brown is they're driving people um, uh, uh, who suffer from chronic shame to professional help. Mm-hmm. So so there are people who are trained uh, to help people out of these chronic uh, conditions. In your research, did you discover any connection between shame and anxiety? Uh, no, interestingly, the the um, uh, there is so. That's a that's a complicated question. There, there are two bodies of uh, empirical research, um, one of which, and I don't know how far into the social science you want to yeah. go in this conversation. Go but, deep, brother. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so so there are um, what are called adjective checklist studies of guilt and shame, and what happens in those studies is you just give people a list of um, adjectives like guilty, ashamed, humiliated, small. Um, uh, wanting to repair damage or whatever, and you tell people how often do you feel these things, right? And then you you try to determine from that which are the, who are, who are the guilt prone people and who are the shame prone people. Mm. And then once you've isolated a guilt prone population and a shame prone population, you can ask: Is one of those populations more likely to be anxious, mm. right? And so that's the way to correlate shame with anxiety. On the adjective checklist studies like that, shame doesn't correlate with anxiety any more than guilt they both they, neither of them correlates with uh, anxiety until they get to a certain level of frequency and then they both correlate with anxiety oh, wow okay so, so chronic shame and chronic guilt will uh, correlate with anxiety but guilt and shame at modest levels don't okay there are a whole bunch of problems with those uh, uh, studies for one thing most people can't distinguish between remorse regret guilt shame right, they sort right. of look at all those words and think yeah I don't know, these all sound the same to me. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's really hard to get reliable data from those things. So there was a shift to what are called scenario-based studies, 
where instead of giving you a list of adjectives, I give you a scenario. I say something like, you were at work and you broke something. Uh, which of these three responses most closely resembles your own? And response one will be, I'll feel like I need to repair it. Uh, um, response two will be, um, I'd feel like quitting my job mm. and hiding away or something yeah, like yeah. that. Wow. And so some of these responses will be coded as shame responses and others will be coded as guilt responses. Mm. And then you, you isolate your shame-prone people and your guilt-prone people by how they respond to these mm -hmm. scenarios. In those studies, right, if you take the shame-prone people from those studies, that does correlate with anxiety in a way that guilt yeah. doesn't. So the answer to the question, does shame correlate with anxiety? Well, it depends which of the studies mm -hmm. uh, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're depending on. In my own view, part of what I've argued in the book is that these scenario-based studies are the ones that conflate uh, shame and low self-esteem. Mm. And so the reason they, they uh, uh, suggest that shame correlates with anxiety is because they're confusing shame with low self-esteem. Mm. Yeah. Now give us the name of your book and, and where can our listeners get it? Uh -huh. The name of the book is For Shame uh, and you can get it, uh, it uh, it's with Zondervan, you can get it on Amazon, wherever mm. books are sold, I suppose. How's it doing? I don't, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> yeah, because I always wonder, because here, here's what it I think. It hasn't been out long enough for me to get, to get my first royalty check, so yeah, yeah. I don't know how many copies yeah, have I, sold. I think that, I think that, you know, books like this that people need to read, we tend not to. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the struggle with, uh, you know, and, and you know, I mean, we both read books that are 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 great, and nobody's heard of it, and you're like, yeah. oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I write we, we, books that are hard to give to people on Christmas. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've written a book on self deception, and yeah. who wants to read that? I've yeah. written a book on Confucianism, yeah. and people think. Why yeah. bother? Yeah, and thanks, now, Greg, for another gift. Yeah, now yeah. now Shane. Can I have coal? Can I have coal next year? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but I think that there, if you want to be awake to yourself, books like this are, are extraordinarily necessary. And again, don't be afraid of the truth. Jesus is our is our navigator through that. And I think that, um, I think that people are afraid of what they'll find. And Jesus said, you know, kind of my life verse is, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." Yeah. Now, what he didn't tell us is, is it's going to beat you up first. But the end, right, is is just this this state of awareness. Um, and, and and so the the language of the East, consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I think in the West we're asleep. Yeah. You know, and we're convinced that oh, if I get this new phone, I get this new car, if I have this material, if I have this material gain, somehow I'm going to have this internal peace. And we've really made this 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 unspoken vision statement that if I have everything on the outside. The person that I'm on the inside is going to be happy. And what what we're seeing is it's just not true. Yeah. Um, you One know. of the things my my teacher would often uh, so my teacher was Dallas Willard at USC, and he would uh, often remind us that 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 verse, "You shall know the truth, and the mm. truth shall set you free." That's the consequent of a conditional. The conditional is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, right. then you'll know the truth and the truth will right. set you free. And that the reason that's important to point out is because if you're not abiding, right. then who knows what the truth will do to you. Right. The truth might just undo you. It might, yeah. just, it might just destroy you. It'll be overwhelming. That's right. And so, so here again, the importance of, of uh, abiding in a community of mm. uh, Jesus loyalists mm -hmm. in that context uh, you'll increasingly know what the truth mm. is and the truth will set you free. Yeah, I think that's on the building at USC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah on, on uh, Mud Hall in the, yeah. in the philosophy building. Yeah, the smallest building at USC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are no longer interested in philosophy. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, when I was trying to find it on the campus of USC, I mean, it's just these monolithic I buildings. Forgot. Thank you for that reminder. I had forgot that that is. Yeah, and as you walk in, I building, just thought yeah. it was interesting in a secular school. Yeah. There's scripture. Yeah. On the building, you know, in pursuit of truth. That's and the old so, Wesleyan roots. You know, yeah. USC was a Wesleyan school yeah. back in the day. And so much of that, you know, so much of young people today have divorced themselves from just the wisdom and truth of scriptures. You know, when I went to the White House for the first time and, you know, where the president speaks in Congress, yeah. he is surrounded by great teachers and they're yeah. great philosophers all around the wall. And directly in front of the president, the largest statue is Moses, uh, yeah. the great lawgiver. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's been this movement at DC to kind of wipe all of these scriptures off and, and really to divorce ourselves from wisdom, yeah. you know, um, you know, things that have helped us. And 
Um, you know, they've created this binary category. Well, well, if it makes somebody feel bad, it is bad. And it's like, well, that's why shame is not always bad and guilt is not always bad. That's right. You should feel bad for the things that you do. And I don't know that there's any hope when you do something bad. You know, all of these, I was talking to a sheriff the other day and, you know, he works in the prison systems and he obviously has a, a jaded view of, of those that are incarcerated because like you're immersed in that. But he yeah. said, he said, the only hope I see is for, for, the, for the prisoner who says, I did something wrong. Yeah. I feel bad and I want to change. Yeah. He said, there's no hope for the person who's not guilty, who is set up. He said, even if they get out, we'll see him back. We'll see him back in here within six yeah. months to a year. And even better if they can say, I did something bad and it wasn't a fluke. The right. bad thing that I did was a reflection of the person I've become. Right. And uh, I, I need to become a different kind of person so that Right. I don't need to just stop doing bad things. I need to become a different kind of person right. so that the bad things won't. Yeah, I, and I think that's, forward. we believe the devil's press. This was a momentary decision that is yeah. not a reflection right. of who I am or where I'm at. And, um, you know, it's just it's just bizarre how even like pastors will cling to power even in the midst of being caught. And, um, you know, I, I just, you know, um, it's just so bizarre, you know, the lack of confession, the lack of yeah. authenticity, even when you're just caught. Yeah. And um, I just have very little hope for those people because um, my conversion was a deeply profound uh, moment where I felt guilty, not just for what I had done, but who I was. Yeah. And I needed to be set free in that moment. And I believed that Jesus would set me free. Yeah. And that's why I went forward. Um, so I believe that I needed to be set free and I believe that he would. And, um, and it was a life altering moment for me. And so many Christians are Christian because they were raised in the church, but they, they've never had that moment. And, and I think we misstate it. I think what we tell people is you need to have an experience with God. And what I think we need to restate is, have you had an experience with yourself? Yeah where you realize, right? So what does the Holy Spirit do? It says it convicts the world of sin and righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's the work, that's the, the experience of God is the experience with yourself where you see yourself, like Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. No, 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 come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's this moment of, of self-awareness where, um, and that's what I tell people when their life falls apart, when a guy has an affair or a wife has an affair or they 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 steal at work, they, I say, you, you, need to rejoice in the fact that not of what you've done, but you've become aware of what you can do. And yeah. it's profoundly evil, Yeah, you know? And, um, you know, and I think, again, this is why Christian community doesn't work because we all think we're better than we really are. And so we're shocked at the selfishness, the self-righteousness in the church, yeah. uh, the unawareness and, um, you know, we're not interested in real community where we say we are gonna be Jesus loyalists. I like that's what you said. And we're gonna, we're gonna pursue community. Um, you know, Jesus was profoundly real. Like I think about, you know, we're approaching Easter where he, he takes Judas's hand and he dips his hand and he says, go do what you must do in front of everybody. Yeah. But everybody's so self-consumed, then it turns into an argument over who's the greatest. <laughs> it's like he just said, yeah. you're the guy that's gonna do this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just so remarkable, and I think we're missing out on the power of the gospel because we've not, again, become real with ourselves. Yeah. And, um, you know, even when we want to, you know, as Jesus asked the disciples for prayer, they can't. They just fall asleep. They're just, they're broken people. Yeah. And, um, and we need this. Any, anything that I didn't cover that you want to, you know, that you want people to know either about your book or, or something that you discovered that you just wish... You know, you just wish somebody could know. Like, here's what you need to know about mm -hmm. shame. Um, is there anything in that? I know that's. I know you wrote a whole book on it. So, what's the nugget? Yeah, I think that the the nugget is just that uh, is just that if you're feeling shame, uh, think of it like uh, loneliness. Mm -hmm. If if you're feeling lonely, the first thing to ask is, well, is that because I'm alone? Mm -hmm. And if so, then the feeling is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. If you're feeling shame, the first thing to ask is, have I been diminished mm. in communities that I care about? Mm -hmm. And if so, then your feelings are doing what they're mm -hmm. supposed to do. If you're feeling a whole lot of shame, even though 
best you can tell, you haven't suffered any diminishing in mm. your in your uh, communities, mm. then probably you're, something unhealthy is going on, right. and you ought to you ought to get some help. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you. Appreciate your work. Maybe in the future we can do this again and talk about Confucius because that Love that it. I have to read that book and. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just incredible. And I'm just grateful that, uh, Greg, you did this work. I think it's it's pioneering. I think it's it's needed, um, you know, uh, especially so much of, of, of the Christian literature. Shame is bad. It's always bad. And I think your uh, separation of toxic shame, you know, or, you know, just consistent shame over everything versus, you know, did I do something that I, sh- I should be ashamed of? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's really healthy. Um, because really what we're, what we're pressing upon people in our culture is numbness, which is leprosy, which is one of the things that Jesus most often healed people from, yeah. the inability to yeah. feel pain. Yeah. That's and that's right. one of the miracles that he thought ought to be changed. That's right. And so thank you so much. Just, I really appreciate you and uh, hope that um, you know, our listeners will get your book and um, you know, just connect it. It's wherever books are sold. Zonderman's a great, great, great company, so super glad that they want to do good work like this.